0: how powerfully moving is your story of community is your wish for belonging is your wish to overcome feeling outcast cast out.
1: That's what outcast means Hmm. actively cast
0: out. You do not belong and it is unsafe in the dark wood outside the cave Where the tribe is. Hmm. And so the story of your transitions, the stories of each chapter have some permanent themes, one of which is the wish for love, safety, and belonging as manifested in community. That, my friend, you can hold on to. That's an anchor and you can live into the expression of that again and again and again.
2: Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. We have to trust the dots will somehow connect in the future. I remember quite clearly the first time I heard those words and watched that speech from the infamous Steve Jobs in 2005 in his Stanford commencement address. I was sitting at my mom's house at her kitchen table with my blue Dell Inspiron laptop, opened up the speakers crackling the full volume and the sound of his voice. My mom was sitting across from me. She was squinting her eyes to deal with the double vision She had a bandana covering her thinning hair. This was early November, 2005, and I had just abruptly moved home when we learned that her breast cancer had spread to her brain. It was an off day from the radiation treatment and in an attempt to distract her and me, I was stumbling around the internet when I found that Steve Jobs video. The odd thing about those words from Jobs and how they landed for me at the time was I only thought about the dots behind me and those ahead but I didn't even think about the moment I was in. That was one of the hardest periods of my life. I just graduated college. I was deeply lost in trying to figure out how I want to be an adult, how I want to be a man. I had a small fledgling startup with a complicated co-founder relationship. I was mostly broke. And in the midst of all that, I was, I was watching my mom die. So as I sat there in that painful moment, watching Steve Jobs' speech for the first time with my ailing mom, the one who had meant so much to the boy and the man I had become to that point. I remember just hoping, hoping for assurance that the dots would all connect and the story of my life would be filled with happy dots. I wanted someone to let me know it'd be okay, that we would all be okay, that I would be okay. My mom died roughly four weeks later And those four weeks were without a doubt, some of the hardest in my life. And yet I could let that boy watching the jobs video know, you will be okay. I am okay. I miss my mom all the time and would give just about anything to have her still in my life. And I can also say with certainty that that moment, that dot, that chapter in the story of my life was a critical one. My mom gave me so much, including the great pain and grief of losing her a dot I can now connect with how I show up as a partner, a colleague, a friend, a parent, as a man. It's not the story of something that happened to me. It's a story of how love, pain, and grief helped me become the man I am meant to be. My greatest regret about that time with my mom was that I wanted so badly to know it would all be okay that I refused to even be with what was going on in the moment. I look back and I can see myself sitting there with my mom at the table, listening to the wisdom of Jobs, and I can realize now that he missed something. Yes, absolutely, you can connect the dots with the benefit of hindsight, but the living happens in the present. My mom wanted to talk about death and her experience of dying, but I simply would not let her. I only wanted to look ahead at the hope of her recovery, which is understandable, because it was hard, but I so deeply regret not knowing how she felt in that moment. I deeply regret not knowing how I felt in that moment. We like to pretend it's not true, but the truth is very little in our lives will last forever. The startup you're working on now, the painful fight with your board, the relief and joy of your big win or big exit, our time with those we love the most, the pain and joy of having a toddler, it will all pass or end. But all the endings and new beginnings end up in the story of your life and who you are. It can be so easy to focus on what is ahead or obsess on what is behind, but in doing so, rob ourselves of the richness and wisdom of what is right here, right now. What chapter is being written right now in your life? What richness might you be looking past? David Ryan is the former managing director and co-founder of Australian based and He joins the podcast to reflect on the story of his own life. Well, Actually, he comes to mourn the ending of his organization, the time with his team, recognizing that the mission couldn't be lived out in the way that they wanted and needed. But in this conversation with Jerry, he realizes the importance of this chapter coming to an end, but even more importantly, how he might find his story, his meaning, and his new beginning in feeling the moment of the transition right here, right now. Enjoy. Hi, this is Jerry Colonna.
0: Thanks for listening. Check out my forthcoming book, available in June Reboot Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. I'll admit I'm excited and terrified at the idea of you reading my work. Hey, David. How are you?
3: Hi, hey Jerry. I'm good. Thanks. How are you?
0: Good, good. So it's evening, my time here in Boulder, and it's morning in Australia. So a very morning. beautiful morning here. Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah. Before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us your name and uh, however you want to identify yourself right now, because that may be part of the topic.
3: Well, my name is David Ryan, and uh, at the moment, I think I would probably self-identify most as the last four years of my life being the founder of a company called Carilla. We've recently wound down and, and got caught up in an, an IP sale uh, with some transitions in the open source world where a spin out from a company called Red Hat. And uh, it's certainly been an interesting four years over, I think, 10, 10 11 countries around the world we've been traveling and based out of. Mm. So uh, right now I'm on a river in a place called the Gold Coast in Australia. It's a lovely time to, to catch up and have a conversation.
0: That's terrific. And tell tell me what would be helpful to talk through
3: today. One of the topics I think we've, we've spoken the most about is this idea of transitions for, for founders coming from that burning life mission. So four years of my life has been totally dedicated to this thing, Carilla, uh, which is a SaaS product. And being a spin-out, you can imagine, the, there's a lot of sense of momentum and and you tie your pride and your identity up in, in taking an internal thing and taking it out. Mm-hmm. And we've gone through the accelerator thing. We did the VC thing. Went down that route. Um, hiring employees globally, users in 85 countries, just the metrics that fill your brain. And uh, at the moment, now that we have wound down, um, the team has landed safely, the IP has gone off somewhere else. Uh, that's a really interesting transition. And, mm. and the next few months for me, or the next year for me, actually now are uh, I've been tapped to to write a book about open source and the evolution of open source. Mm. Given a, I come from Red Hat and we spun out of Red Hat and Red Hat's recent acquisition by IBM. Mm. Uh, so it's a very, very interesting transition that we've been talking about going from a CEO of a startup um, and one that's just hitting that high growth phase to to a writer, mm-hmm. and that's completely blowing my mind. Mm.
0: So let's just pause a moment, and you know i I, I, I will confess that uh, David's been a member of uh, a reboot circle, so we may we may make references to sort of reboot isms. And mm-hmm. if we do, I'll sort of pause and try to remember to explain them. But let's let's just take a moment and honor something that you just said, which was really powerful. Which was, we wound down Carilla, and everyone has landed safely. Mm. I mean, you said it quickly, but it's an interesting phrase. Mm. Well, tell me about what does it mean that everyone landed safely.
3: That's the funny thing that I didn't realize being a founder. I thought at the end of it, you know, all this fail fast mentality in our industry and turns out there's a wide range of exits. Once you decide that you're not going to hit the window, you're not going to hundred X, it's better to wind down. That decision really came from looking at my team and I wrote a blog post about this. And given we're from Red Hat, we always try to keep the open source culture and, uh, some explanation might help. As uh, I emailed our investor one day, a gentleman by the name of Bob Young, who's one of the co-founders of Red Hat, and I said to him, "Look, we're really struggling. We're we're exhausted. Our numbers are okay, but not amazing. We need to evolve, or we need to do something." It's just sitting with me that this we can't just keep doing this year after year. And Bob simply said, "Just ask your users," which made me laugh, and I used that. And then I asked the team and I asked the users and I said to everyone, here's where we are at. Here's some good things, here's some bad things. And the thing that sat with me the most was realizing it actually wasn't about the company. Um, when we wrote down a list of priorities, my my care was the users, the team and the investors. Mm-hmm. And Users are easy to keep happy at the end of the day. Well, there's so many competitors, um, your colleagues, peers doing similar-ish things that we were able to look after them. But it just sat with me that <laughs> when I started, and this might sound funny to, to admit, I guess, but I was on a flight back to Australia, i um, been living in San Francisco, and I realized, what would it be like to work for somebody else? Mm. And I sat and I thought, wow, that'd be crazy. I'd have to believe in their vision, their ability to make payroll on time. Can they pitch? Can they raise money? And then it occurred to me, <laughs> and I actually laughed out loud on the plane <laughs> like a madman for a while. It occurred to me that that's exactly what my team had done for four years. Yeah. It's ridiculous, right? And I thought these brilliant people are going home every day and telling their partner, this is what we've done today. This is what we're doing this week. This is what David's leading us to. And it actually put a chill through me.
0: And, or or, and or the, this is why you should still put up with me not making enough money. <laughs> this is why you should still put up with me uh, uh, being stressed out. And this is why it's because I believe in this crazy guy, David.
3: It's terrifying when you think of it that way, right?
1: Yeah.
3: It's very surreal. So that, that really sat with me and there is no, I don't think there is a perfect landing. I think you, you follow the rule book, you reach out to people, you make sure everyone has options. Um, but it's, it's always that little bit of heartbreak and I'm really proud that I caught up with my, my right-hand guy. Um, we hired him as a chief design officer and he just became basically a co-founder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a drink with him the other day, and I, I remember he just pulled me up and said, Stop apologizing, stop deferring, stop offering to pay for drinks. It's, it's like these were the best years, or we worked on something we cared about. This is, we got to go around the world doing this, meet amazing people. Mm-hmm. And he was pitching me what I used to pitch him to join the company, and I just laughed so much. It's mm-hmm. like I've heard that pitch before, but <laughs> it's really hard to carry that, that feeling of make sure everyone gets to gets ground safely. Yeah. Um, then you I, think about yourself.
0: I, I hear the care and concern in that mm-hmm. word safely. I hear, uh, what what is the name of your co founder, or the guy who became your co founder? Uh, Ton. Ton. Yeah. Uh, I hear it in his phrase, in his notion that. Uh, we got to do, we got to spend a little bit of time, in effect, doing some great work. Mm. You know, um, we're big fans of the poet David White, and he uh, has this phrase, good work done well for the right reasons, which we've really adopted internally at, at the company. And, you know, you use the term heartbreak and, you know, before we started recording, we were swapping stories about writing books, and I have a book coming out in June, and um, it's uh, there's a chapter in there uh, on this notion of resiliency, and I talk about that the that the even though I often speak about resiliency as a kind of goal that we're looking for. It's actually not true. What we're really looking for is the equanimity, Hmm. the peace of mind, the sense of satisfaction that comes at the end of the day when you've done good work, done well for the right reason. And I chart the fact that um, the movement is actually from heartbreak to resiliency to equanimity. Hmm. And you know, when I speak about it, when I write about it, I write about the fact that um, one of the most heartbreaking experiences for me is just the impermanence of all things. Mm-hmm. And there are a few things more impermanent than our businesses that we start. And if that's true, and if that is mildly uh, common among people that impermanence is a source of heartbreak and that our businesses are in fact always falling apart all the time Hmm. then our businesses are a source of heartbreak all the time yeah wow and 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 yet the heartbreak can lead to the resiliency which leads to the equanimity That's really interesting.
3: It really, it has me thinking a little bit. So at the moment, I'm looking out over this beautiful river and there's a big stack of books. And, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, a friend of yours, Krista Tippett, who's in my bookshelf right now, Becoming mm-hmm. Wise. And, and Fantastic book in itself. Yeah. Essential, I'd say. Essential for anyone listening. Um, I was listening to one of her podcasts the other day and it got me thinking about the, the whole whole water, chop wood mm-hmm. uh, Quote from the Buddha is you know, just doing the work is the reward in itself at times. And, and that's sort of how I'm trying to switch from you know, day one of a startup, especially when we were always tied to story, always tied to narrative, mm. always tied to, to brand. So we had to spin out of Red Hat and create this separate identity before we had our own line of code. Mm. So it was always that sense of trying to fill a bucket, you know, a shiny bucket and the substance of the product and the users and success was always pouring through the bucket. So coming into writing and letting go of being a CEO and just being a writer for a while, um, mm-hmm. telling the story is, is such a different approach. It's almost terrifyingly 180% degree change difference where it's not just a chance to hold water and chop wood. It's as you say, it's, uh, it's that sense of just letting go of that narrative, that story, putting the bucket aside for a while and, uh, and just letting things be. The equanimity can come as a result of letting go
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, i i i i think that the 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 letting go uh is uh, essential in arriving at that place of of a, a kind of peacefulness with the changes that are going on and this word changes, this, this notion of the transitions. And again, you've been through a lot of transition and you've been through a lot of heartache and you've been through, um, you know, a very powerful piece of advice from Bob to, to ask the users. And th- there's so much in that. And yet I also sensed a little bit of the sadness, the heartache in you. Mm. Am, I, am I reading too much into that? No, it's, it's absolutely a heartbreak to, to build a thing. And
3: if that thing had just failed, then especially in our current culture, even in 2019, this is the startup fail culture. But to choose that that thing is, is working, but not working how you went out to work it, to take the responsibility and land that and to take that story away from people. It reminds me of my early 20s, I was in a band and the band did okay. We went on tour, we played some big festivals. And when I stopped that band, I remember the bandmates looking in their eyes the feeling, oh, okay, uh, we don't get to do this anymore. And it's just a, it's a very similar thing. Are we doing this thing in service of what it could be and can we achieve it? If not, then we have to, we have to deal with the, the negative feelings of putting that thing down and moving to the next thing. And... Change is scary and change is is especially heartbreaking when moving country, changing roles. I don't think there's a founder on the planet that really, really knows what they're going to do next when you shut down this thing that you've built around you. and You build a house around you. How do you leave that house without being scared to leave that front door? When every architrave, door, window, pane, carpet, you've built all of that around you over the past few years and you have to step out of that house into the scary outdoors again it's uh yeah it, it's it's all the emotions feel all the feels has been a, a, a joke uh, from my partner lately mm. and uh it's a damn humbling experience
0: so once a coach i was a coach can i can i stay with this for a moment sure. um, i want to offer a framing that has been helpful for me um and quite honestly, you know, as I was sharing with you before we started a recording, you know the journey of writing the book was an ass kicker for me um, mm-hmm. because I had to actually work with my own issues that were arising because as i as as I say in, in the introduction to the book i I could not do something that was not me, that was not authentically me, and so I really relate to your statement that, that change is, change is painful for me. Um, Leaving one house and going to another is painful. Um, And, and there's, uh, you know, I have, I have three children. They're all adults now. And I wrote something the other day that uh, to a friend who was, who was speaking about in anticipation about her, pre-adolescence becoming adults and how cool it would be to have adult children. And I said, it is in fact cool, but it's also bittersweet because what you're watching is their, their, their individuation and becoming adults means by definition a separation and change. Wow. Um, and, you know, I was traveling recently on the solstice with my daughter and happened to be the anniversary, the 25th anniversary of my father's passing. And um, I was thinking about that day as a necessary day of darkness and, and closure in order for the lightness to come. Mm. So uh, I've been with a lot of these feelings recently. And so I'm going to offer something that comes from that place. And that is that life, for me, the realization is that life is more like a film then we realized film has the proximity of fluidity, but it's in fact 24 frames per second, 24 still moments per second. And if we watch a film trying to catch each 24, each of those frames, we don't actually enjoy the film. And one way to think about, of everything that you've been going through, every single transition, every single position, is as one large film called David Ryan's Life. Hmm. Dude, you're still in the band. Hmm. You're just playing different music right now. Hmm. And so we don't... The heartbreak, when, when one song ends and another song begins there's much less heartbreak there. There's a little bit, especially if it's a good, tangy, juicy song. But that song needs to end in order for the next song to begin. Mm. And looking backwards, boy, I'm really feeling feeling my oats as an elder right now. Looking backwards over my life, I think that... that uh, one of the ways I mitigate the pain of impermanence is to see the permanence, if you will, of the things that I believe to be true about the world. Not even my meat bag of my body, because that's not permanent. But of my children, and someday their children, of my father, of my mother, of their parents, of their grandparents. This continuation And, you know, your friend who spoke to you about that moment in time, that brief iteration known as Corella, that band, he said, dude, we played some really good music together. Mm. And one of the best ways that we can see this is to lift our gaze and to look at our colleagues and see what they've done with their lives since we landed the plane safely. Um, Back at my youth, um, Fred Wilson and I launched this firm, Flatiron Partners. And for a variety of reasons, it came to an end. One of those reasons was the fact that my depression was such that I could not continue to raise money. And I remember at our closing barbecue, and. I remember saying to the team that I wanted nothing more than however long we were together for them to go forth in their lives and say, that was the best company I ever worked for. However brief it was. Years later, last year in fact, I ran across somebody who actually used to work for us at that time. And he's now a very successful publicist and all. And we went for a walk here in Boulder. And he said, Jerry, I remember that moment. And it was, in fact, the best company I ever worked for. And I think that's what we've got. I think that's the gift of those experiences. Hmm. I don't know. Does this land at all?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's, that definitely resonates. and um, What I love about that too is that it allows something to, to be the experience in it, its full self. It allows it to be a chapter or your analogy. Exactly. To a so, and it, it makes it, any former founder will probably resonate with, with this moment of you think, okay, I delayed too long in shutting that thing down. I let that song play too long. I think endings are always overdrawn out unless there's miraculous people out there that have the foresight and the strength to do it quicker. I think we definitely, I definitely fell in the trap of of keeping this thing running and going and and being probably default dead, mm-hmm. you know, in that sense of, were we 100xing? No.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So then there's that moment of what next? And I feel grateful that with the transitions of things happening in my industry, with the way open source is evolving, it feels like I can be in service to to a story for a little while but having this conversation with you and that topic you raised it does also help frame the future to do the next chapter and approach a next project whether it's um specifically a company or something else and know that that is impermanent know that that has an end and i guess uh the gratitude i have having shut something down now as mm-hmm. old as that sounds is those battle scars are well earned mm-hmm. and i certainly don't want to make it seem trivial, how absolutely heartbreaking at times it is to look at a thing, a team, a customer base, mm. all the people that rely on you and mm. say, how am I going to tell these people that mm. hi, I've just let you down. We're pulling the plug. Mm. That, that is the hardest. It's not the money. It's not even your own ego. It's, mm. I think for me, it was that sense of disappointment. But that means I can approach the next thing in a sense of it's still going to suck at times. And Mm -hmm. I don't even know how I'm going to get through this book. Like that's, Mm -hmm. uh, I've written hundreds of articles. I'm a long form journal, but I've never written a book. So uh, I think I'm going to be lying on the floor at 3am in six months time thinking, Mm -hmm. (laughs) how can I edit this Mm -hmm. massive pile of nonsense? But Mm -hmm. knowing that that experience in itself, that, that book is about the act of doing it and the community that will gain value from it. And it's going to sit on some shelves and rot and be a, a link on Amazon in a few years' time that won't matter. And I'm okay with that. But mm. it'll it'll tell the story it needs to tell. And what I really appreciate from conversations with you is is framing that as being having learned from a gorilla, which we thought would be a forever thing. Spinning out to do this thing forever. It was it was the the best way to manage knowledge for technical teams on the planet. Absolutely. Mm. And then it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter.
0: Well, it did matter. It mattered so much. That's right. So I'm I'm gonna offer again another piece that may be helpful. Um because I said something before which is which I wanna bring back here, which is that the form changes, the form disintegrates. Mm. But the values, the meaning, the content remain. Mm -hmm. And in one sense, you're still playing in the band. And in one sense, you're still a storyteller. And there are values implicit in all of this that um, I suspect will continue to manifest every single chapter of the story that is David Ryan. So, for example, Tell me the story of why open source matters to you.
3: Oh, I love how you frame that because there is, once a founder, always a founder. I mm-hmm. could pitch you the, the pitch that landed me, the book, or that. You know, I could tell the story about being in a certain corporation and a Fortune 500, and the only way we could really solve our problems was sneakily using open source, which we had on a thumb drive, and you know, that, that's a well-rehearsed narrative, and that's true, but it's true to the point now of being a parable. The reality is that this, this thing that I gained value from was really a community to come home to. It was a, a group of like-minded people. It was a series of events that seemed random that, that put me in a place where I'd come from an extremely corporate role. And I won't launch into the well-rehearsed story, but you know, mm-hmm. coming from immigrant families, growing up working class Knowing what it's like to miss meals, then being in a, a giant corporation, having a, a very good role flying around business class, and then realizing everyone around me was not only unhappy, but just a lot of bad people. Mm-hmm. You know, this is your classic kind of someone hits Wall Street and then goes the other direction narrative, but to, to live that and not just read that. And then fast forward a series of events, and I find myself working at Red Hat. Mm-hmm. And the very first day I come in, and a random person asked me, Hey, um, you rode a motorbike to work. I was like, yeah, I was very excited about my new motorbike. Um, and he says, well, there's a park downstairs. Hi, I'm, I'm Paul Gamper. I, I run Red Hat in Australia and, um, yeah, just use my park. Mm. And from that point on every series of interactions at Red Hat and open source in general, was a case of generosity and community and, and anti-status, mm-hmm. you know? just,
0: just well, getting things done. Hey. And I think back to Bob Young's advice to you, Bob Young, who's a legend. And uh, many of the folks who are listening to this might be too damn young to know how (laughs) Bob young was and is. But shout out to Bob. Mm -hmm. Um, Bob Young's advice was to turn to the community, wasn't it?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I'll admit, Bob will get a laugh out of this when he listens, but I turned to my team and this was your classic, all right, uh, we're in a hard spot. Uh, We want to wind down. Let's speak to Bob because apart from being co-founder of Red Hat, first CEO to raise venture capital on open source, his list of achievements continues. And still doing businesses to this day and still building successful companies. Bob's going to save us. It was one of those Hail Marys. Um, mm. And then his email was succinct, just ask your users. And I turned to the team and I might've cursed a little bit, not at Bob, but at the situation. And then it occurred to me late that night, once the team had gone home and I was still in the office, he's totally right. Mm. And it's a, you have to unravel the narrative. You've just told everybody in the industry, the partners, the competitors, a uh, bit of a really weird thing happened. Now, I should also disclaim that we were a hybrid company. We were part open source and part closed source. This is kind of what makes Guerrilla interesting coming out of Red Hat. um, When I'd speak at events like All Things Open and Raleigh, there'd always be people in the crowd asking me, but aren't you a hypocrite? You're part closed source, part open source. But we were basically what is now normal, is choosing the tools available, but building a beautiful community around you. And to turn to that community and say, hey, um, we don't think we're really in service to you including our competitors, we just opened the doors to everything. It's the most terrifying thing that I actually literally I have done outside of you know, some reboot conversations and some relationship stuff and some family stuff. Professionally, to open the doors to everything, here's our books, here's our numbers, here's what we've done, here's the bits where you thought were better than we were, that actually became hilarious once undertaken. The first post was super difficult and I, mm-hmm. I edited it a 100 times. It's still up on Medium. But when all of our competitors reached out, all of them, and you could filter it quickly. Who's the ones that just want to snap mm. up your users? Push mm. them aside. Mm. Three specific companies, been there from day one. And I've never thought of our competitors as enemies because of something um, Scoble, of all people, said was mm. that you're probably going to end up being acquired by them or work with them in the future. Or mm. vice versa. You might, you might buy them. Why hate them? Mm. So that was a really interesting thing. And I actually went to meet a bunch of them around the world because I was, I was traveling as part of this IP um, IP roadshow to basically sell off what we could. and um, had an absolute blast. Um, mm. I'll keep the anonym, uh, anonymity, but uh, there's one company in France in particular. It's like when we met, we just thought, man, we would be best friends if if we were if we were in the same city. Like, how how can we?
0: How can you hate a competitor? How can you hate your community? Mm. It has to come from respect. Uh, it, it, what what I'm sensing, David, is you know as you think about this transition, as you think about the next chapter, there's a common theme that's here, which is the story of community, the story of belonging. You know, I, 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 I will often repeatedly talk about the fact that our deepest wishes are for love, safety, and belonging. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing in your story is the story of a wish for belonging and the story of community, whether it's with with your bandmates then and your bandmates now and the community and the elder in your open source community, Bob, saying to you, turn to the community. And, you know, at the risk of provoking another pitch, why is open source important?
3: It is community. It is belonging, 100%. It is having an impact on the planet and understanding you, your contribution, however small, to this thing that persists outside of a one company, one brand. is something that nudges the dial forward. And in doing so, it gains the recognition of your peers. It feels valuable.
0: So open it, source isn't, isn't a technology. It's a philosophy. Absolutely. It's a way of being in a spiritual community it might be it might have found a home in quakerism mm-hmm. right i mean it might have found a home in a monastic culture mm-hmm. the point is 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 and in, in a world that seems consumed right now by the exploitation of attention by the exploitation of personal data but the manipulation for political means, for the aggregation and accumulation of power Mm. in a hurtful and harmful way, what I sense is um, a yearning for belonging that is an activist belonging, Mm. a sense of connectedness. And you keep smiling as I say these words, but do you understand that I'm just reflecting back what you are saying to me, smiling only from, from felt recognition, it, you're smiling yeah. from recognition. Yeah, right, right. This
3: is—it's really interesting to have stumbled into that world, and you're absolutely correct. And it's not a technology. Even watching when I was at Red Hat in 2012. And this is fun. Someone, someone with access to the, the email libraries could probably check on this, check me list. But I remember being in debates where I was arguing on a, a company-wide email, uh, email list called Memo list. It's quite famous where you can jokingly, you can call the CEO an idiot and not get fired. It's like a, it's a kill switch for sanity in the company to do the right thing. And I remember just arguing relentlessly that open source wasn't about bearded guys in a basement coding Linux kernels. Mm-hmm. It was now about community and just how humans organize themselves. I don't want to say the word meritocracy because in different countries it's it's taken different meanings. But there's an idea that every contribution is valid, and that peers will group around righteousness. It's slightly naive, but also quite powerful when you enable it, and the effort it takes to enable it. Um, the punchline to that, I remember thinking, sitting and thinking, I need to explore this more. And when I look at the book that Jim Whitehurst, the current CEO of Red Hat, just a fantastic individual, has written on the open organization he articulated all those things that some of us around the company were trying to articulate perfectly is that it's not technology. It's just this human need. And I can probably speak for most of everyone in open source. It's not driven by relentless ego. It's usually driven by some, some feeling that we just didn't connect. You know, I doubt any of us were captains of the football team in open source. And if you are, that's great. But I think a lot of these communities of practice that get put together, whether it's yoga or rock climbing, um, both important parts of my life. Uh, I think it comes from that that uh, human awareness that you grow up feeling outcast and alone and you know, all of us that try to do these crazy things, bands, startups, there is an element of ego in that. And there's an element of projection, I'm sure. And I think the first two years or maybe even the first couple of startups for some people is trying to get over that. And this is where Reboot Circles was invaluable for me where a group of my peers... You know, for those listening that haven't haven't heard of it yet, it's a, we have a call every two weeks. It runs over six months. Selected group of peers. And I just remember one day I was so pissed off at some feedback I got from my my peers. And I I, I love these individuals. They were so right about something I kept doing. Mm. It annoyed me so much to hear it. I can vividly remember after that call, I was in Galvanize in San Francisco before we'd taken offices. It's a co-working space. And I looked around and I felt like the shame of being pegged perfectly by someone. I got up and I walked around the block. <laughs> I walked around mm. the LinkedIn building and around mm. soma and I came back. Mm. And I was I was almost, I was pissed off. I was ashamed. I was frustrated. Mm. But the feedback pretty much pegged it was just simply that that I wasn't being in service of of working with the shadow, as we would say, getting through mm. my own shit to have a better company. I was mm. making company decisions based on fear and ego. Mm. Um hard, hard lesson um mm. to get through but things that helped me fall back on it again was the community. Once I realised, all right, they're right. I need to fix this. Mm-hmm. I just reached out to part of our community and said, "You know, what? Here's the thing: where we haven't been doing for the right reasons. Would you like to be a part of us doing it better?"
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, easy to say, actually easy to type and hit enter mm-hmm. on that Slack channel or on that email, but very hard to sit with.
0: And mm-hmm. um, and that's a that's a long, long journey.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So as a as a kind of elder in the Reboot community, um, I want you to be easy on yourself. I want you to be gentle. You're allowed to be human. Even as you hold yourself aspirationally to working and looking at, working on these issues and looking in the mirror, you can, you can, Be gentle with yourself because being harsh with yourself is yet another expression of that inner critic, Mm. right? And so we want to go a little easy Mm. and then I want to reflect back how powerfully moving is your story of community, is your wish for belonging, is your wish to overcome feeling outcast? Cast out. That's what outcast means. Hmm. Actively cast out. You do not belong, and it is unsafe in the dark wood outside the cave where the tribe is. Hmm. And so the story of your transitions, the stories of each chapter, have some permanent themes one of which is the wish for love, safety, and belonging as manifested
1: in community. Hmm. That, my friend, you can hold on to. That's an anchor. And you can live into the
0: expression of that again and again and again. You know, a long time ago, one of my buddhist teachers ani pema children chastised me for uh, positioning myself as a sort of oh i'm just a student in the back of the classroom and and she and she said in her way bullshit stop playing that game that's just your ego talking hmm. your karma is to somehow combine leadership and dharma and all of this and some unique expressions that, you, that are you. Well, your karma, my friend, has something to do with the story of community. I'm not 100% sure, but I think you know what I'm talking about. It's that passion that comes up when you speak about open source, not as the t- technology, but as the philosophy, as a way to bring in the outcasts is a way to make the world
1: safe. And, you know,
0: the, the really, if, if you think transitions are painful, if you think impermanence is painful, take in the fact that the work you're setting yourself to do is perhaps amongst the most painful which is to help make the world safe for outcasts and misfits. Hmm. Because the world, we will always advance the cause and the world will always slip backwards. Hmm. But we still get up every day and we do it again. Just like we get up every day and we try to create a great company for people to work at a company where outcasts can thrive. where the the island of misfit toys is the norm. Not that. yeah. i don't know the ways in which your life will iterate and change and transition, but i can't wait to read the next chapter. <laughs>
1: You know this. This is a really powerful story.
0: Thanks, Excellent. I like your framing of that. Well, it comes from that place of elderhood. It comes from the place of having steeped in my own heartbreak. Mm. God, we could
3: talk a whole other hour sometime about the realizations of of time scale. Of uh, I turned thirty eight not too long ago, and. Mm what a gift it is sometimes to, to have a little bit of gray hair, uh, a few projects under your belt. It, it just every cliche of steadying the, the keel slowing down, mm. you know, aiming more true, being more resilient. I think that comes with age is amazing. No disrespect to, to anyone under the age of 30 mm. listening, but, um, oh boy, those gray hairs, every single one of them I, I cherish actually.
0: And think there's a story behind every single one of these well as as the older of the two of us, I will tell you that um I think you are are holding the right attitude going into this time period. Um, this is a difficult time period. those ages between say thirty five and fifty five are 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 ripening it's uh it's the emergence of second adulthood it's the it's that time period when we slough off that which got us out of adolescence and into chronological adulthood but now we get to start to take on the true meaning of adulthood and and uh, um the term midlife crisis doesn't do it justice because it, it it doesn't really respect and honor the transition that's going on there um And I will tell you that it was a painful period for me, an incredibly painful period for me. It was the period in which I walked away from being a VC, Mm. but walked into the rest of my life. And, um, I will tell you, looking backwards, having just turned 55, um, it was a gift. Hmm. Um, and now I feel more settled and more in my seat, if you will, than I have ever felt in my life. That's amazing. So I, that's, I, I think that's what you have to look forward to.
3: It's interesting how you say that. It reminds me of your comment before about essentially the, the virtues you learn or that you gather around you doing, whether it's a book, a band, a startup. In this context, let's focus on startups. Being a little bit older, and I don't know if this is the same feeling, if I'd be twenty eight moving on to my second thing, but I know I'm building another company. Mm-hmm. And what we didn't touch on is like a lot of founders coming out, you have that feeling of what next? That you can always get engineers' jobs, especially in the Bay Area, but but anyway, you know, we had a global team. But when you're a founder, when you're mm-hmm. a product building founder who's Stepped out of tech some technical background, but i 'm a product guy. Mm. Uh, th- I had thought you know it's, it's just the wastelands, the deserts you've everyone else is feeding then i 'll walk off uh, I'll, I'm on the flight, the ice floe paddling off into the Antarctic to, to go mm. die in the snow somewhere but um like a lot as I, I did I did get tempted for something I did take a role um, you know when you become a product leader for a company and, and there was one with quite a big names around it and very well funded, but your comment about virtues and ethics is that's something I had to pull the pin on and realize in myself that at this age and with the journey I've had, and it's not that you build up a reputation, but you build up um, a community in a sense of what's right. And it was a hard, hard thing to say, Oh, I jumped too early after that was a, I said yes too quickly for, for status, for money, for whatever. But it's more important to me to be in service of those virtues because when I'm 60, 70, 80, it won't matter that I was chief product officer for somewhere. Mm -hmm. It'll matter that those lessons I learned the hard way from whether it's someone on a reboot circle telling me some feedback I didn't want to hear or my team members telling me this or that. Mm -hmm. Every one of those mistakes, every gray hair, every battle scar is something that I've earned. Mm -hmm. It's very hard just for the sake of money, safety, status and those aren't the things that you say it's the sense of belonging the health uh, the being loved so
1: mm-hmm.
3: that, that that is something that is a recurring theme and i think i take away from our conversation is as long as it feels right and it's it's right thought right action right virtue mm-hmm. right livelihood mm-hmm. those aren't just things from mysterious country on a scroll it's all antagonism even in tech and startup culture like mm-hmm. even in an accelerator we know if that growth hack is just a growth hack that's not something that's going to provide value long term it's the same applies to our life and it's funny we learn more for our startups than we do for ourselves as humans and leaders at times
0: Mm. the um i'm smiling because i love the way you slipped in the eightfold path uh it's the fourth noble truth there that that's what the the references to write was and yeah um we learn more for our startups than we do for ourselves. Well, what I would pull back and pan out a little bit and zoom out and and take a wider view a little bit and say um, the opportunity in all of our journeys is to grow, to, to use those challenges in our startups to grow ourselves as human beings. Um you know essential message of that book uh, of my book coming out is that better humans make better leaders, and since we spend so much energy worrying about this thing called our startup, why not use it to grow? Why not use it to confront that feedback that we get from peers to to work with the issues that arise to um, to, to really look deeply into our past, into our structured way of thinking, and to really extract out of it the common operating system principles that we hold. One of which is, for you, is uh, the primacy of community in meeting the needs of the outcast. That is an operating system dictum. That, that is a, a principle by which you can live your life and you can navigate all of these transitions.
3: And it, it just occurs to me as you say that, total agreement. And um, it's interesting how the different principles that come to you in different roles, the things that you gravitate towards in them, overlap. Mm. As a designer, I love Ray and Charles Eames and their mm. quote of building the best for the most for the least. Mm and doing the best work for the most people for the less price and pretension. Mm. Uh, that's always amused me with their story in terms of we're not... Some people want to build the, the Mercedes mm-hmm. um, and some of us want to build the next best thing for everyone mm-hmm. or the Mercedes for everyone mm-hmm. and beyond that. And I think that overlaps nicely as like a lesson to take for this into community is what and this is why I'm working on the book or when I got asked to do it and it actually terrified me the first time because it's just a running conversation I have in a private mailing list. I have in a mm-hmm. community. I have myself constantly talking about this evolution of, of ourselves. As mm-hmm. you say, the best product of a startup is yourself as a leader. Mm-hmm. Or I guess that reminds me of the quote, you know, the number one product the CEO has is their own psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what led me to reboot personally. And, mm-hmm to think that that's what I was thinking when I, when someone pointed out, you just keep talking about this topic and you're from this organization originally and your investor was the one that made it. And you, you just in this, this nexus and you have to write about this. It wasn't a, do you want to? It was so many people telling me I had to, or that, that not just opportunity, but almost a service to a community Mm -hmm. that if I was a hundred percent doctrine, open source, Pure blood, old school, that doesn't have the nuance of of an organization that said we're going to leave the safety of this nest and and do what a lot of open source people hate. I'll have to be honest. Is I didn't realize there's so much animosity between you know the punk rock open source and the venture capital world. Mm. So we were kind of sellouts in a way. We we're a hybrid, but that hybrid journey is the future of this community. And I think um, I would be doing a disservice to what we've gone through as a team and a disservice to our community not to to voice that. And mm-hmm. capture that but uh, as Krista said to you it does kick you in the pants to to write a book it is a it's a humbling and a heart opening experience even to write other people's stories
0: yeah well um, may your heart be open and stay open um, in that process David I want to thank you for coming on the show and having such a kick ass conversation um, it was really a delight getting to know you and hearing your story and I know that folks are really going to enjoy this conversation.
3: Thank you so much for
0: for the conversation, Jerry. Thank you, my friend. Be well.
2: If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcasts to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations and leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening.
1: How long my soul gets
2: it mean to build organizations of belonging? How can you build an organization safe enough for the whole human to show up at work? In Reboot's newest email course, we discover the hidden power and privilege that can pervade an organization and consider what is needed beyond the HR trends and into matters of the heart to create and sustain real places of belonging for all employees. Compiled and created by the Reboot team of coaches and facilitators, this course is a conversation around the question, How can you contribute to creating an inclusive culture of belonging? The course will unfold via a series of six emails full of content, one email per day over six days. And we hope by the end of the course, you have a sense on how you can relate to belonging to yourself, how you create belonging in your communities, work, home, and life. To learn more and to sign up for free, head to reboot.io slash inclusivity.